Hello, and welcome to the Frontside Podcast, the place where we talk about user interfaces and everything that you need to know to build them right. My name is Charles Lowell, developer here at the Frontside. Uh, with me today from the Frontside also is Taras Mankowski. Hello, hello. Hello, Taras. And today we are going to be talking, like we do every time, about a piece of the platform that you use to develop user interfaces, front sides, at your company or organization or wherever it is that you build software. Um, And today we're going to be talking about a piece of the platform that's very, very critical that often gets short shrift or is excluded entirely from what people think of when they think about their tech stack. Um, And that's how we as teams collaborate to build and maintain and, and, you know, produce the quality software that we can. With us today is Jacob Stobel. Welcome, Jacob. Hello. Now, what is it that you do in your in your day-to-day? I'm a full-stack developer for a little company called ePublishing, and I mostly work in Rails and React. Rails and React. And so when we were searching for people to talk about, you know, how we collaborate as teams, you know, Mandy suggested you because of a talk that you'd given at uh, RubyConf about specifically about code reviews, which I think are actually a huge piece of, you know, the collaboration process because it's, you know, a a major forum where team members get to interact with each other. And it's the gateway for making sure code quality is maintained. But more than that, you know, I think it's a learning, a place where we learn. Like I learn so much both as a reviewer and as someone who's submitting my work. Um, and so it's it's actually very important, um, a very important part of the software development process. You had a, uh, a lot of great uh, examples of how to how to not do code reviews. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think I may have been a little bit too indulgent in that talk. I, I had a lot of fun sort of, I, I did some research from other people and sort of thinking up mainly from anecdotes I had, I had researched from talking to people about really all the anti-patterns that come out of code reviews. It seems like every few weeks I'll see a tweet that says something along the lines about how code reviews are broken. I don't really know about that. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, I, I, th- I think I'm kind of lucky at, at my job that I think they're done in a way that really leaves me feeling pretty positive. And that's certainly a good thing. But yeah, I, I think what it comes down to, and I, I'm going to sort of talk about where these ideas come from in a minute, is that we often have code reviews that well, for one, and I, you can tell me how this is for you too. Often the code review is happening at a point so late in the process mm-hmm. where the feedback that you get may not be actionable. Have you, have you experienced that? Before I answer that question, just to kind of echo the sentiment, I actually, I, I feel, you know, and, and maybe I'm being presumptuous. I feel like the code reviews that we do are actually very positive. So I haven't gotten to experience firsthand, although I have seen conversation on GitHub's where it looks Kind of like a, a celebrity chef, <laughs> you know, where there you have some someone doing the code review who's like Gordon Ramsay up there just screaming uh, <laughs> at someone who's put this uh, plate of food in front of them um, uh-huh. and, and kind of picking it apart. So that's like it on the one extreme. But this is actually something that I struggle with, what you were talking about. What is the appropriate point at which to get feedback? I agree that you want to get feedback as soon as possible. And that, yeah, sometimes you, when you've invested weeks and weeks into something and then you're only getting feedback, someone can be like, oh, yeah, you know, the, um, you, you know you're at mile 100. And they're like, you know, at mile two, uh, you were supposed to turn right. 
Um, <laughs> and, uh, and now you're off in the forest and you've been trekking 98 miles in the wrong direction. Yeah. And the work is due, right? Like it, it needs, this needs to get shipped tomorrow. Right. So you've got massive pressure. This is something, you know, that I'm, I, I struggle with myself is when is an appropriate time to really try and be public about what it is that you're doing? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that is a really great question. And I think what you're getting at it, but, and I would agree is that the sooner, the better, the, mm -hmm. and, you know, and, and the more, uh, and when you can tighten the intervals between feedback is probably better. Uh, I'll just take a step back and sort of, I'm going to take sort of a longer route to get, sort of get to my point. But mm -hmm. so I'm a career changer. And before I was in this career, um, I was a high school theater teacher. Mm. Um, so it was really different. And I, I won't get into sort of why I changed other than this, this is something, this is a career that spoke to me more. But one thing that I, uh, I really struggled with is, you know, I, I was working with teenagers and I really wanted to see them grow and improve. But at the same time, I was, you know, these are, these were kids and they had, you know, they have fragile egos and I don't want to, you know, tear them down. So I came across this really interesting framework for feedback. Um, it is called the Liz Lerman critical response process. And I talk, hmm. I give, um, credit to her in, in the talk. This comes out of the, uh, believe it or not, the dance world. Uh, Liz Lerman is a pretty accomplished dancer and choreographer. And what she found is that in the dance world, and I think it's not too dissimilar from our industry, is that the feedback received was often given in a way that was leaving people feel really torn down. And mostly not feeling inspired mm -hmm. to go back to their work and make it better. Um, and it really felt like feedback is about giving you a grade. So it's like, mm -hmm. I'm going to tell you uh, how good of a job you did. And there's certainly, there's certainly a time and place for that. But what the, 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 sort of the inspiring question, is, I guess a rhetorical question, that she made is, shouldn't the big point about feedback be that it makes you so excited about the work you're doing mm. that you just can't wait to go back to your keyboard and keep working on it. And she found, or, or in the case, back to the dance studio, right? Mm -hmm. So it really sort of structures this framework for how people can give feedback to a creator. And that could be a creator of anything. Um, you know, you mentioned cooking. It could be a, mm -hmm. this could be about food as well. That sort of sets some guardrails for how we can give feedback that is um, useful, it's inspiring, and it's kind. And I'm, I'm going to really distinguish between kind and nice. Uh, nice would be, here I'm going to say things that are only pleasant about your work. But when I, what I mean by kind is feedback that is really taking care of your team and making them feel like they are respected and cared for. Mm -hmm. As human beings, so you know they don't go home on a Friday every Friday afternoon and mm. you know lay and cry on their couch um, mm -hmm. and just dread coming back on a Monday. So right, but yeah, that that's kind of the basic idea of why we need maybe a, a, a kind of a framework for giving feedback. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I agree totally. I like I like the idea. It's almost like you need to conceive of your feedback as not a, a gate to quality, but a gift mm. to, you know, embolden somebody, you know, it's like, you know, they've just been doing battle with this code with this problem, they've been grappling with it, and they need someone to wipe their brow. And maybe give them a stiff drink, you know, so that they can get back into the ring and, you know, be invigorated. Yeah, 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 yeah.
What I'm hearing in this conversation so far is it's kind of like a, a tone or a way of communicating to the person receiving the um, receiving the feedback. But there's also sometimes, no matter what your tone is, like depending on, on how your team is set up, like depending on the context of your actual code review, it could still kind of land in the wrong place. Have you ever experienced that where the team conditions impact like your ability to actually provide feedback? I think I know what you mean. And I think I think what you're talking about is this sort of the organizational structures that are set up are sort of lend themselves to certain uh, modes of feedback and discourage others. I will give this example that I've heard from numerous people. And I, I think this is what you're getting at is feedback that's given at the end, right? Like just sort of like I said, like feedback that is given the day before it has to be shipped. Mm, mm hmm. Mm hmm. Or feedback that's, you know, it's it's almost like if we work in an environment where sort of like the hair on fire environment where it's like everything was due yesterday. Yeah, like that's not an environment that's going to be conducive to slowing down, taking a step back and saying like, let's point out what we think this work is doing, what questions we have about it, who has opinions about the direction that's being taken on it and really sort of zoom out a little bit more. Mm hmm. Do you have any concrete examples of how that early stage feedback has taken place uh, at your work? So is it just over Slack or do you have kind of a, you know, if I've, suppose I'm, you know, I don't know, maybe the whole people need to step back from the idea that, um, you know, we're working on one week iterations or two week iterations. And at the end of the iteration, everything is due and, you know, everything will get merged at that point. You know, how do you kind of break up that structure to say, no, we're going to try and have checkpoints and milestones, what are deliverables that you can decompose the work into that fit inside that framework that are inside the big deliverable, which is the, you know, ostensibly the feature that you're working on? I think first of all, is, is the sort of the way this sort of thing goes about. So first of all, I don't think this framework works over Slack. I think it mm -hmm. has to be immediate. I think it has to be either in person or on Skype or Hangouts or something. Mm. And I think the reason is that the the whole like one of the the points of this type of feedback is really it's about checking in with each other as a team. And I think what's great about Slack is it sort of lets you sort of leave a message in and walk away. And the unfortunate thing about Slack, the Slack is not meant for sort of attaching. Uh, how people feel about things or, you know, what people's reactions were to them. So, yeah, I think we all have, you all have to be in the same space, hopefully with your camera on if possible, and, and really just sort of checking in with each other as a team. I can point to times with my team that I think that's really worked out, particularly when it's, when it comes to, I think you made a good point when it comes to sort of really getting started with a project, because boy, there have been times where I made the mistake of, not trying to get feedback from my team early on when I was going to start a project. And uh, as you can imagine, boy, like, did that really cost me? Hmm. Uh, you know, it's really getting feedback from my team and my and my supervisor about the direction this is going to want to go. And I, I'll say from experience, you know, I work on legacy code bases. And, you know, as, as you can probably imagine, like, it's easy to paint yourself into a corner. Mm -hmm. And what the thing about legacy code is that you don't know what pitfalls you're working into, you know, so you can sort of get started. And you can sort of find that well into the process, there is some reality about this code that you didn't know. And it is really getting in the way of your work that had you known about it, it would have saved you a lot of trouble because you could have planned your way around it. Mm -hmm. 
And then, and then the fortunate thing is, you know, drawing on the wisdom from uh, people who uh, they know about it because they struggled with it already <laughs> um, if they've been around longer than I have. So I think that's a really good point is this is a good thing to do, you know, as you're getting started and like you can you can be sharing this is my just initial idea of how I'm going to go about this. You know, what either what my tech stack is or my understanding of the problem space, you know, all of the above, um, and to really sort of check your assumptions um, and see if they really check out. So I wanted to um, circle back a little bit to something you'd mentioned before, and that is you want to be kind in a code review. Um, and I would say you probably want to be kind anytime you're giving feedback or, or interacting um, with your, your teammates. But what's the process that you can go through if you find yourself struggling? Like, how can I deliver this message that I want to deliver and have it come across as kind? What's a process or a checklist that I can go so that I don't open my mouth up and say something that I can't take back or that is going to land wrong or. Yeah, that is a, I am glad you asked that. Um, and I think that this is a great sort of way to sort of introduce the uh, sort of the guidelines for the critical response process. Mm -hmm. There's basically four steps to it. And the way it's structured is you have the, person who has created the thing. So it could be the person or team that has created the feature. You have other people who are responders to it. They could be people within your team or they could be others in the organization um, who are invested in your success. They're not here to tear you down or give you a grade. They're here because they want to see the project do well. And then there's going to be someone who is a facilitator. So the way it works, and I, I think this is directly addressing your question, is there are, um, are guardrails. They're, they're going to help you not steer into territory that is going to leave someone feeling torn down. Mm -hmm. The first step to this process is everyone, all the responders are going to say uh, statements of meaning about the work. And what I mean by that is that you're going to make things that stand out to you that are not attached with an opinion. So you could say, for example, this project is using React hooks. That's something I noticed. You're not going to say, I think that's a good idea or a bad idea, but you're just going to say, this is what's going to, what I'm noticing. And that is something that can get jotted down because that's going to be fodder for discussion later on. Like, let's talk about this use of uh, this new feature in React, right? And and let's talk about it, you know, later we can talk about if we think that's a good thing or not, or what the what the implications are for that. The next step after that is that the, the person who has made the work or the team, they get a chance to ask questions of everybody else about what they thought, right? So you've probably noticed that like in a lot of pull requests, Someone puts their work out there, and then every, the next thing that happens is everybody starts commenting on the work and saying what they think about it. This flips it. This says, at first, you as the creator start asking questions. We can say, this thing over here, I think it's maybe a little wonky or it's a little hacky, but I couldn't think of a better way to do it. What do you think? Hmm. Do you think it's right? Do you think it's a bad idea? Uh, or this bit over here, I'm pulling in this third-party library. I think maybe it's worth it, but what do you think? Is it not worth it? I like that because it's, you know, ultimately the people who have created the thing are the most familiar with the problem space. They've just spent a lot of time thinking about it. Uh, and so they can actually direct the conversation to the parts of the implementation that really are the, the, the most iffy and the most unknown, right? Because everybody exactly. is going to feel this need to comment, but you know, it's the classic 
case of bike shedding, you know, really the true experts are the people who've just been spent all this time implementing. And so people will comment up to their, you know, their greatest point of familiarity with the problem, which could actually be not that great. Um, and exactly. so can you say like, Hey, actually, can you really focus your mental energy on this? I, I, I like that a lot. Yeah, yeah. And it, and it really, um, it sets a, a good tone, right? The, the assumption behind all of this is that the creator, like you said, knows the work best and really ought to be in the driver's seat uh, when it comes to feedback. So it really sets the tone there. And so like the, the creator knows what what's most important. Let's give them the first opportunity to frame that, right? And I, I know plenty of times, like if, if I'm asked to review a, a PR and I'm not given any kind of prompt or direction, you know, I will probably scroll to the the file maybe i'll find the file in that in that pr that i'm actually familiar with right or you know i'll I'll look for some pattern that like is something that's like oh yeah i understand what's going on here i can give feedback and if it's all that other thing over there i'm completely confused (laughs) i'm gonna ignore it right but if you could if the if the creator could illuminate me a little bit then i would understand a little bit more and then i'm in a position to comment on that thing that i you know i otherwise wouldn't have understood so that's the first that's the second step the third step is now the responders get a chance to ask their questions. But the important thing about that is that there are neutral questions. The assumption here is that the responders need to better understand the context from which this code was written in order to be able to give their opinion, right? So mm-hmm. here's an example coming from the Rails world, right? I, I could say, tell me your thought process for using factory bot in this example. Right. If anyone doesn't know that that's that that is somewhat of a contentious issue in the in the Rails community, rather than just coming out guns blazing, say, like, I think this was a bad idea. It's like, no, tell me your tell me your process, because I want to understand the context you came from. And then we can together evaluate if that's if coming from that context, it makes sense or if or if it doesn't. Right. So neutral question. They have to be neutral questions. And by the way, and you've we've probably all heard this before. This is not a neutral question. What were you thinking when you decided to do blah, 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 blah? <laughs> because, <laughs> right? Everyone knows what that means. That right. Means. I was going to say, there's you can be very, very passive aggressive with questions. Yeah, exactly. And this is a place where um, having a facilitator can really help. Mm-hmm. A facilitator who is not one of the creators, right? Someone can mm-hmm. just say, let's back up. Can you rephrase that uh, without the opinion embedded? Can you just say mm-hmm. that again? And that 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 again, those are those are some of the guardrails that sort of keep us on track. Mm-hmm. After the responders have been able to ask their questions, how hopefully everyone has a better understanding of the context from which the code was written. Then it's time for opinions with consent of the creators, right? So the way it works is the responders can say, I have an opinion about uh, using React hooks in this in this code base. Would you like to hear it? The responders can say, yes, please let me know. Or they can say, no, thank you, right? Because the responders having the best knowledge of the context might know that that feedback is not useful. Maybe they have a really good reason for using React hooks, or maybe uh, there's no time, they know what's coming in the future, or maybe they know that there's no time to fix it now, and or it's not worth fixing now. They know the trade-offs best, right? And so, uh, again, those are guardrails, and it puts the creator in the place of saying, that's actually not useful feedback right now. Let's just not use it. <laughs> so they can say, yes, please tell me. Or they can say, no, thank you. Let's not talk about that. Hmm. In the context of a pull request, you know, the, the process you're describing could be played out in any number of media. 
But in the context of a pull request, the creator is the person actually submitting the code. How do you handle the issue of, you know, who pushes the merge button? Uh, if there's still some opinions that haven't been voiced, if, if, for example, a creator says, no, I don't think that's helpful feedback, is the assumption that then, you know, the creator can go ahead and just, uh, you know, push the merge button? <laughs> or is it, you know, is, is that, you know, basically saying, I don't want to hear your opinion relatively rare? <laughs> that is a great question. I, I think I tried to get at this in the talk. Well, for one thing, I, and probably like most people, don't have the opinion, the option to just say to my manager, no, I don't want to hear your opinion. <laughs> right. mm -hmm. I get that. There is a contrast between like the pure version of the feedback process and then reality, right? And those, mm -hmm. they have to balance. But teams can sort of work out the way they give feedback, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, oh I, I have an example, an anecdote that someone shared with me once when I was doing research for this talk. There was just sort of this agreement that with the manager that their manager wouldn't give feedback on Friday afternoons. They just wouldn't. <laughs> everyone preferred that, right? Everyone mm -hmm. sort of wanted to sort of say on Friday afternoons, I'm really going to be just focusing on winding down for the week. And I don't want to get dumped on a bunch of feedback. But the point being that like, even though you can't just blanket ignore feedback, you can work out circumstances with your team for the best way that feedback can be given and circumstances under which it can be politely declined. Mm -hmm. I see. Yeah, I'm curious about a different part of the of this, which is because a lot of this is like how to give feedback, but I'm really curious about the like the why part. It's like what when because we know that that uh, I think many of us take it for granted that that good code reviews are very valuable because a lot of teams that I've encountered that that are taking on really big challenges. But they even have a code review process. And so one of the things I'm kind of curious is like for com for people or for teams that don't have it in place, it's like what kind of symptoms can they observe in their daily operations that would suggest that maybe code reviews is, is something that they need to put in place? Thras, you're talking about kind of the places where we've seen where the culture is just, you know, push everything to a branch. There's a thousand commits there. Open up a pull request and it's no description, no name. You know, and it's like, here's this thing. Okay, I'm taking comments for uh, the next three hours. And, you know, if everything goes well, it's just like merge. Are you talking about that? those kind of situations where they're really the culture of pull request or, or f just feedback around change is very, very nascent? Yeah, a lot of times it's, it's the ship it culture, you know, ship it, it you know, like, this is getting yeah. in the way of, of shipping it. So you're saying like, what is the, how do you sell the entire idea? Yeah. And, and what, what, if someone is listening, who, who is noticing that, I mean, they, they would, you know, a lot of people would know that, yeah, we're not really doing code reviews, but what are the symptoms that they could be observing that could say like, really, this is, we need to change. Like this, some, this can't continue. Yeah. One thing that occurs to me is if there's a high level of surprise when you read it, when pull requests are read. It's like, oh, you went in that direction. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that could be an, an, an indication that like maybe we could have checked in at the halfway point or even sooner because there there seems to be a differences of perspective on where this is going or where it should end up. That's one idea mm -hmm. I have. Mm -hmm. Like at, at what point do you think people would see this? Like is this something that would happen kind of way down the road? Like, oh, actually – how did this end up in the code base, <laughs> you know, or, or is it like, <laughs> that's surprise, except deferred even further. 
right? Yeah. Who wrote this last year? <laughs> yeah. There's probably use in in having that kind of feedback process. Like, let's sort of take a look at where this project has come in the last few months and, you know, see if we can sort of learn from what went well and what didn't. I think you see a, a, a large, and this is related to the concept of surprise, if you see a proliferation of many different patterns to accomplish the same thing, then that means that the communication is not there and people are not learning from each other and not kind of creating uh, their own code culture together. Mm. If that's missing, and, and that manifests itself in all kinds of ways, in bugs, in weird development setup that takes, you know, it takes me two hours to get this local environment set up and things like that. Uh, you know, you're seeing those things. Chances are you need some way to come together and a code review culture is really, really good for that. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think in an ideal code review culture, everyone that's sort of brought on board is saying, I am going to share responsibility in this patch doing what it's supposed to do and not breaking anything or, you know, not burning down the world. Right. So, like, you know, I, I could imagine, like, you mentioned, like, the ship it culture. I could imagine, like, toxic cultures where, you know, the person who shipped it, if it broke everything, you know, it's on them to fix it and they have to get woken up or whatever. And the idea about feedback is, is like, now, now we're, we're sort of forming a community around what was done. So it's like the, the person that pushed the merge button isn't the only person involved. Right. So it's like if, if we have a culture where we say everyone that participated in the PR is collectively sharing the consequences and there will be there will that will happen eventually is to say, like, uh, it's on all of everyone who's in this on this thread. It, it's on all of us if something goes wrong to, to fix it. I think that is certainly something that one would hope would see you would see. Mm hmm. I'm curious, where do you see these kind of observations usually come from? Because sometimes, like, I can imagine there being a developer, you know, coming on a team and they're like, why are we not doing code reviews? And they're like, well, we have always not done code reviews, right? But then there could be someone like, you know, maybe like a product manager or project manager or somebody who's like, oh, why are we not doing code reviews? Well, maybe we should start doing code reviews. Like, have you seen ways of introducing these ideas to teams that have worked out well, yeah, and you know, I, I think um, I should probably preface it like I am certainly not an expert in. Um, I'm like I'm not a manager. I'm certainly not an expert in how this works. So I, I actually don't have a, per, a really great example personally. I can share an example from working in a previous team where everyone secretly wanted to be more collaborative, but didn't know how to be how to do it. Right. Because it's like if I'm the first person that puts myself out there and no one knows else knows how to collaborate with me, how to, you know, how to reciprocate, then what was the point? And for the five percent, the top five percent of teams that are just really have great energy together and they're giving, you know, they don't need a framework to do this sort of thing. They're just doing it on the natural. Mm -hmm. I think for everybody else. We need some kind of guidelines to do this, you know, because for better or worse, this the industry that we're in right now, it, it isn't built around mm -hmm. this. We're we're not used. To, we don't know how we don't know how to function this way, and it's it's no one's fault. It's just sort of this. That's the way we've all sort of learned to work in this industry, and I, I suspect we're not the only one like the only industry like this. But we need some kind of guidelines to do it. 
it's maybe a difficult question to answer. It varies probably from team to team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I have a, I have a, you know, maybe we can kind of uh, shift the question just a little bit because I have one that's kind of sits alongside it, not quite the same question, but is, you know, I think related and, and can be, and, and can bridge it. And maybe we can find the answer there. You know, we've talked about how to a little bit, and, and there's definitely more to unpack there, uh, how to, you know, give feedback that's kind and honest. Um, and I think to, to, what was the third? Inspi- inspiring. inspiring. That's right. What about from the flip side? So when you are, and you know, this is something that actually comes up uh, with us as consultants, but I think it's something that other people will encounter um, in their jobs too, is what do you do when you are the creator and you're trying to present or share and ultimately solicit feedback from, you know, a stakeholder, you know, the CEO of your company, one of your clients, one of your customers, uh, and you see, you know, them engaging in kind of a mode of feedback that's less than constructive. They're nitpicking on things that aren't really important. You know, and maybe this this could be completely and totally inadvertent, right? Their intention could be that they're trying to to help you out, but it's really not being helpful at all. And it's kind of like, you know, it's either tearing you down or just not being productive. And, you know, it makes you feel, what's the word I'm looking for? Just brings an air of contention to the conversation that's not really helpful to producing you know, the best result for everybody involved. How do you as the creator actually engage with those people in a a positive way and kind of, you know, help establish the guardrails uh, and be that agent of change when they, those guardrails don't exist, you know, in, in their minds yet. Yeah. How do you do it? Right. Like it's probably rare that there's going to be an environment where someone's going to say, Hey, we're going to do this framework for (laughs) feedback. And everyone is sort of signs on board Mm -hmm. from day one. I think one of the things that you're probably getting at is a frustration that happens when people start giving feedback. You have this perception that they're giving you feedback that's unuseful and they're only giving it because that's the only thing they can think of or you know <laughs> exactly they got to say something they need to contribute their two cents to the conversation and and some people are trying to be helpful and it just aren't some people are just trying to appear smart yeah and and it's like oh boy they're they're just really off they yeah but you find yourself you know you you can you know derail the main narrative that you're trying to establish and get mm-hmm. off in the weeds kind of skirmishing with with these people and that's all after that happens you're like wait ah no (laughs) i didn't want to end up over there yeah i was trying to tell a story Mm -hmm. when i gave this talk once one one idea that someone threw out was when you make a pr mark up your own code first with everything that you want people to, to draw people's attention to because i think and i think you were getting at this is like one frustrating thing is that is when people giving feedback seem to have less invested than you do, right? They're sort of just flying by and, you know, dumping on you and they probably actually don't, couldn't care less. And that's what, you know, that can be frustrating, right? So when you're engaging with people that maybe don't know how to get deeply involved in it yet, or maybe don't have the time to, you can sort of gently nudge them to sort of like, hey, I want to talk about this part of it. Right. Like, and it's almost like you're giving them the answers to the test. Right? It's like, hey, if you want to if you want to be part of the smart conversation, like comment over here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think like from the responders perspective, I and I'll, just speaking personally, I would appreciate that. Right. It gives me an opportunity to sort of feel like I'm actually being useful. You know, we can all probably point to times where 
all the code review we have to do feels like use, you know, homework that isn't the best use of our time. Right. And it's like, maybe the responder can make us feel like our, our opinions matter and they will be put to good use when you tell them, Hey, if you comment here, it will probably be put to good use. Mm -hmm. So I think that's sort of the way to way to sort of get started is like the responder can just sort of say like, Hey, I would really like feedback over here and you know i can't speak for everybody but i would suspect that more people than you think would be more than happy to be gently guided in what feedback they should give right i'm thinking how you would do this for example in the context of a demo uh that you're giving to stakeholders because Mm. i think that one thing that you know i there's maybe the inkling the the idea to do that but it come it's often presented as an apology like oh uh there's this this um you know this screen doesn't work or the air handling isn't quite right uh sorry we're gonna fix that uh you know look at the stuff that's you know over here and maybe the the way to frame that is this is a really hard problem based on you know the legacy architecture that we have for displaying errors and i'm not quite sure how to do it in a robust way and i could really use some some feedback there it's a it's an area of exploration or you know something that we really need to focus on yeah you know i'm gonna put that out there and then you know as i'm demoing this main functionality right now yes he's sort of saying like here's something to watch out for and please let us know what you think and then after you could say like as a team we thought up these three possible solutions but we didn't want to move on them because we wanted to get your feedback first. Oh, wise mm-hmm. clients. <laughs> so please impart on us what is the right way to do it. Um, and, you know, please, you know, flattery, flattery goes a long way. <laughs> I, I have this uh, imagery coming up in my mind as I'm hearing you, hearing you guys talk about this is that I, I keep seeing this um, kind of difference between a line and a triangle where a line is like kind of a tag and pull between, did I do this right? No, I didn't do this right. You know, I think that would be like kind of a bad code review because it's very kind of very personal. It's not really where you kind of want it to go. And then the other way is that like the triangle where the end goal that you're trying to get to is somewhere that is beyond both places where you, the two people are, the, the, the recipient of the, of the code review and, and the giver of the feedback. Like the end goal that you want to get to is actually someplace else. So, so when we deliver the code review and we say, or we, when we deliver code and we say, my code is done, then it, it, it invites this kind of like linear feedback where it's like, oh, no, you didn't do this right. But then the other way is, this is where I got to so far. Tell me where you think we could take it next. If you don't think we need to change anything, then we're done. You know, like we can, we can merge this. Yes, 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 yes. So the... Very intelligent Jessica Kerr said recently on another podcast, there's no such thing as done, but there is a, it's that you can always make it better. Right. And I think you're getting at that point. That's a great question, by the way, to ask of your responders, right? Where should we go next? Where, where do you see this going next? What would make it better? What would, um, make it more robust? What would make us happier six months down the line when we're looking back on this? But I think of it as the uh, firing range. That's the that's the analogy I gave it. It's like you put a pull request out and you assert that it is done. And if no one can find fault with it, then it's done. <laughs> um, and I just don't think that that makes sense. I don't think really most people actually want to work that way. It's maybe not necessarily even healthy, but I think everyone can find, at least I hope, 
can find a process that invites them to come into the process and share the way they see things can hopefully be enriching and just make everyone feel better along the way. This sounds to me like the inspiration part of this conversation, because like I, one thing I really like about working at Frontside is that like I'm, I'm an experienced developer, but I know that Frontside is dedicated to doing something much greater than I can do as an individual. Uh, so when, when I ask, like, what do you think about this? Then I know that the feedback is going to be because the idea is there's, there's something always that is just a, beyond the reach that could be a little bit better than what we have right now. You know, and it's like it's not until I can actually get that feedback from, you know, from Charles or from Jeffrey and, and hear, like, what do you guys think? Like, is this it? You know, and they're like, well, what about this? And I know that 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 next step is going to be a little bit or maybe even a lot better than, than what I have right now. And I think that's the part that inspires me is that I know I've actually gone a little bit further beyond my personal ability to get us to that vision of like this being much better than you know we could do as individuals. Yes, and as opposed to, oh, I screwed it up and now I have to fix it. Yeah. <laughs> right, like the, the, the framework of like, find all the errors that I made. Even though there might be errors, right? Like, let's be honest, there there could be things that are like, oh, that would be really bad. That would be a security problem. But a fr- like a, a growth mindset to think about is like, oh, this is a way to make it better. Is it, I mean, and it seems like, you know, uh, one of the things that you can do to help that is like try and find inside every change, try and see the potential that hasn't yet been realized, but is enabled by this change. Like what exciting paths does this change unlock in your mind? Right? Like, yeah. and then you can share that. That's a great way to, inspiration is infectious, right? So if if you can find inspiration in a change, then, you know, you might be able to share that with the creators. If If, if something is very personally exciting to you when you see something, you know, and so maybe spend a little time searching for what you find to be exciting about it. Yeah, nice. That's great. Yeah, we might have touched on that, but I, I, cause I, I just bring that up because so often, you know, I'll see that the changes that people on my team are submitting and it kind of sometimes it can be, you know, feel like a, a, a cloud burst of like, wow, we could do this and we could do this and we could do this. And yeah, it's great to get excited. Yeah, I there, I could share recently there was an example. My coworker opened a pull request and it unlocked something for me where I said like, you know what? <laughs> this is making me think about this other thing that I've always <laughs> hated doing with our legacy code base. We should do that thing you're doing more because boy, would it make life easier. And I wonder if it would be worth the time in refactoring XYZ because boy, then I would never have to do ABC again, and I would be so much happier. <laughs> it makes yeah. me think that we need to revisit our pull request template. And like, so mm-hmm. what would that look like? What would, what would the, be the sections on a pull request template that would facilitate this kind of way? I don't know. Before we, I know we're almost at time, but before we even get into that, this is a, a question I have because you talk about pull request templates. How do you match the amount of process with the scope of the change? Right, because it's probably a little bit heavyweight. If I want to fix a typo, to say, okay, now we're going to have the creators, you know, uh, lay out their case, then they're going to ask questions of the reviewers, and then the reviewers are going to ask questions, and you know, once everybody's been able to, you know, write down things that they observe, questions that they have, completely and totally divorced from opinion, now we can talk about, you know, opinion that is welcomed. 
that's probably <laughs> if you're capitalizing one letter, that's probably a little bit heavyweight. But <laughs> you know, on the flip side, it's probably absolutely warranted if it's you know a major feature that's going to be you know affecting huge portions of your revenue stream. And yep. so this is yep. one of the problems I have with pull request templates is they are one size fits all. You know, so sometimes a pull request template feels like it's supporting you, and sometimes it feels like the epitome of busy work and it's like I have to spend all this time deleting <laughs> all the sections from the pull request template. I wish there were ways you could choose different pull request templates. Maybe there are. Oh, so do I. That's like a little bit of a quibble that I have um, is there's the amount of ritual and ceremony that you have to go through is fixed with a pull request template, but it seems like you want to match the amount of process to the scope of the change. Yeah. Yeah, you do. And and the flip side is also true. Like you don't want to give someone too little homework when mm. you really need them yeah. to say more. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's a way to like to say when a pull request is opened, the person who opened it or the manager or maybe someone else, I don't know, has the option to sort of tag the pull request as saying this is going to be a bigger conversation. We cannot merge it until we have a a face-to-face conversation first with these various stakeholders. You know, maybe that could be the one of the questions is like that the first form that everyone gets for every PR gets is what level of PR is this? Is this a quick change? And what people, you know, that you just need uh, some quick feedback on? Or is this a, uh, is this the long form that you need um, where there needs to be a, a sit down with that, with these people? I actually was thinking maybe what, what uh, the adjustment that could be made for pull requests is to say here's here are here's what a complete pull request looks like uh, you can opt into whatever section you want so you decide based on your pull request what the actual sections of the of this template are appropriate but then someone can on a flip side say look i would really like to learn about the motivations of this pull request can you add the motivation section yes yeah i understand that from you know from your pull request Absolutely. Yeah. You you filled out section A, please answer section B and C. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Because I, th- I think what part of the challenge is that we have, uh, you know, like people look to us, especially like people who have a lot of experience, developers look to us to know what is the right thing to do sometimes or often. And it, I think it's helpful to be like a little bit more, you know, gentle, right? In in saying, look, like you, you can decide what is the right amount of uh, detail to set the right conditions for this code review, but I will give you some directions for for, for what what are the things you you can consider in, including. Absolutely. All right, uh, we are a little bit over over time, so um, we should probably go ahead and wrap it up. Um, you are absolutely right, Jacob. This is a topic that keeps on giving. We didn't really move much beyond uh, beyond uh, pull requests and feedback and stuff, but we moved a lot around within that topic because um, it's a big one. Jacob, is there anything that um, we should mention? Any upcoming talks, meetups? Nope, I have a one-year-old, and I'm kind of really. It's all about work and work and family. This part of the life, so I, I have nothing to speak of at this point. Um, you can come find me on Twitter as Jay Stobel. Okay, awesome. Well, thank you so much, Jacob, for coming and talking to us. This is a very rich topic. We only really scratched the surface. So that's it for our episode today, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening. 
If you or someone you know has something to say about building user interfaces that simply must be heard, please get in touch with us. We can be found on Twitter at, at the Frontside or over just plain old email at contact at frontside.io. Thanks and see you next time.